0: But I agree with what you say, Tom, is that we got to not be angry so much at this beautiful thing that was once great and is now gone, because it's mostly gone.
1: All right, welcome back to The Loop Cast, where we keep you in the loop on all things faith, culture, and politics. A few housekeeping notes. One, please, if you've been listening to us, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're going to get that notification every Thursday. Other thing, we have a new email address uh, specifically direct to the Loop team. So if you want to send us questions, you can send them to us at loopcast at catholicvote.org. Once again, that is loopcast at catholicvote.org. Send us in your thoughts. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, send us some questions. We'd be happy to answer them. And the top story of the week, the Respect for Marriage Act has officially been voted on. It passed with 12 Republicans. This was frustrating to a lot of people, especially because it felt like it was really saved until after the midterms so that people who voted for it really wouldn't get punished. What's going on with the Respect for Marriage Act this week, Josh?
0: Well, first of all, I mean, a lot of people have heard the news in the Senate, and it didn't actually pass the Senate. What they did is they got 12 Republicans to join on with this Democrat bill they call it the respect for marriage act. We here call it. I had kind a of vote called the disrespect for marriage act. Um, it didn't pass the Senate yet, but they, with by having twelve Republican senators, they're able to break a filibuster, and so if they want to, they can move forward with this legislation uh, any day now. You know, it's amended a little bit, and it has to go back over to the House, and the House will. So the only real chance we have is to still try to stop it here in the Senate. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and for those people who aren't following super closely, uh, why do we oppose the Respect for Marriage Act? What, what is the bill?
2: So the Disrespect for Marriage Act um, was first touted as an attempt to codify the Obergefell Supreme Court decision, which um, you may know, you may remember, in 2015, the Supreme Court uh, during the Obama administration um, ruled uh, in such a way that same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage Um, was now uh, the law of the land, right? So every state had to recognize this, um, et cetera. And this, you know, after the Dobbs decision, uh, there was a little flurry of panic that, um, you know, Clarence Thomas wrote a concurring opinion that mentioned that the Supreme Court should probably look at all due process uh, cases, one of which was Obergefell. So, of course, the progressives and leftists in uh, Congress they a hissy fit and said, oh, my gosh, Clarence Thomas is against interracial marriage and he's against same sex unions. And he, the Supreme Court, which is ironic which to- because he himself is a black man married to a white yep. woman. Yeah. So the irony is just abound. But uh, <laughs> to make a long story short, they come up with this Respect for Marriage Act, which, again, is being touted um, by people like Pelosi in the House, Schumer in the Senate um, as codifying Obergefell, so they can't take this away from us. Even though no one is trying yeah. to take this away so, from them currently, uh, and
1: all the usual suspects are behind it, right? But I actually have kind of had some clarification-type conversations with friends and family who maybe hear the title. It's named like, oh, we should just respect marriage. What's the problem? If you can answer this question, I think it would clarify: uh, Is this bill just about you know letting two people who love each other have all the same rights and? protections that, say, like a man and a woman who get married uh, would have. And so the people that oppose the bill, I've heard, you know, just hate gay people or are bigots and and, and don't want to see it. it. Don't People don't necessarily see where's the connection between this being where's dangerous the to Catholics or people who don't believe in that definition of marriage.
2: Sure, sure. So uh, what I would say to that is this bill does not actually add anything to the existing rights um, that same-sex couples enjoy currently. Um, they, what it does do, and I, I would point everyone to, I'm going to link in the show notes, two excellent analysis, one by Ryan T. Anderson that was in uh, Fox News this week, another, um, Kristen Wagner at the Alliance Defending Freedom, really explaining what this bill does. And the, the danger in the bill, the harm that it does, is, of course, to... Um, People and organizations with sincerely held religious beliefs that um, marriage is an institution ordered to founding families, uh, and it can only be between a man and a woman as the one coupling in all of nature that produces the next generation. Um, and and as far as you know, what harm does it do? I think again, Kristen Waggoner really goes through this really well. I'm going to link it, but she writes it imposes. Um, a new obligation to recognize same-sex relationships on religious organizations that work closely with the government. So here, to be very specific, we're talking about organizations like Catholic Charities, um, which because of sincerely held religious beliefs might not recognize um, a, a man and a man as a couple suited to adopt a child, for example. Um, it So another harm, it creates new tools for progressive activists in the Department of Justice uh, to enforce that obligation. So again, it's it's adding a layer of um it's adding a layer of pressure on those organizations that makes them vulnerable to lawsuits.
0: Everything about them is is making sure that same-sex marriage in their minds is national policy. You get Congress to to approve it and the president to sign it. It's national policy. Mm -hmm. And so what they want to do is establish it in law and equate the belief the deeply held religious belief that marriage between a man and a woman, as you say, they want that to be seen in public and in our society as hatred towards uh, gays. And and, and the, think about it this way. If you wanted to start a Christian charity, would you ever, you know, hey, I want to start a Christian charity that, own, that will not take care of black people, that right. will not take care of Asian people. People would freak out. How, mm-hmm. would, how would you do that? That's, they should not be allowed to do that. And so it's, they want to use that same stigma of hatred and, and racist bias, which is evil. They want to use that and apply it to Catholic Church. Which cherries. is
2: why I think that when they first rolled this act out and it passed the House in the summer, every time you saw it in the liberal media, it was um, to protect same-sex and interracial marriage. Like They very deliberately in the propaganda to promote this bill linked um, people who are— Bigots who hate interracial marriage, who thinks black women shouldn't be marrying white men, they link that kind of prejudice to people who say, no, government's interest in marriage is so that a child will grow up with a mother and a father. And linking those two together has been very effective, right?
0: If they just, if they said, we're only going to get rid of ban interracial marriage, that would pass with like no one dissenting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like incredible
2: but they linked them together for this reason.
0: So
1: so to be clear, the bill has not gone to a vote in the Senate yet.
0: It has come up for a cloture vote, which you know how like in the Senate you need 60 votes to get something controversial yeah. passed cuz they have filibuster. Mm-hmm. So they got more than 60 votes because there was 12 Republicans that ch- signed off on it. And so what this means is they can they're going to debate certain amendments to the bill and then if it, Mike Lee like Mike, Mike Lee is going to offer his amendment and he is going to encourage other Republicans, especially these 12, mm-hmm. right, and say, listen, if you can't get this ironclad protection for religious freedom, if you can't get that into this bill, yeah. then it, this bill should, right. should be blocked. And so then uh, of these 12, then you need three to say, hold on a second. If you don't have Mike Lee's ironclad protection for religious freedom, okay. I don't want anything to do with it. So that's what we got to do. We got to pick three of these guys off, the three of the 12.
1: We're working on ways to flood the zone to encourage these senators, if you live in that area, to support their religious uh, liberty protection. Correct?
0: That's right. We're working on setting up a quorum thing on our our Catholic Vote website so you can contact these lawmakers and tell them, hey, look, if he doesn't have this protection that Mike Lee's talking about, then forget it. Uh, but it was really started of President Obama, this redefinition. Mm-hmm. He would would never support religious freedom, which is this robust idea. You live in a free country, and you should be able to do what you want to do with fellow worshipers. He, he, He just defined that down to just freedom of worship. So you have worship on Sunday or Saturday, whenever your religious services are. And in those four walls during that service, yes, you can read from whatever Bible or book or whatever you have, and that's your freedom. But if you ever walk out those walls and want to start a hospital, a church, I mean, a, a school, a charity, then you have to be fully on board with the secular mm-hmm. agenda. And you have to deny your faith. Um, you know, you have to deny your teachings on, on life, on marriage, if you want to participate in society. Not just take government money, just in any yeah. way participate in society, really. So that redefinition of freedom of uh, religion, which the First Amendment protects, down to religious, for just freedom of worship is something that started in the Obama-Biden administration and continues yeah. in the biden administration. Yeah, I watched a, a
1: really interesting video. This is somewhat tangential, but uh this is YouTube channel called Jubilee, and they do these kind of uh, verses-type videos, and they had uh, a group of liberal teachers versus a group of conservative parents, and they asked them questions, of course, controversial questions that people maybe agree or disagree on. And I feel in a lot of ways this is kind of similar because a lot of questions were asked, um, you know, what do you think about sex education for kids uh, and what should that include? And the conservative parents were very much like, we don't want you to talk to our kids about sex at all. Like it shouldn't come up at all. Yeah. And then the parents were like, well, do you want me to deny the existence of t- if a kid has two dads or something like that or or, or whatever? The teachers, the, yeah. teachers. The, the teachers were like, well, you know kids come in with different situations and for us not to speak to them would be you know disregarding but so there's like that I feel like is kind of the the trojan horse but then there's of course later down the road it came like well uh what about specific sex acts can we teach them about that and they're like <laughs> absolutely not that's not appropriate they're like well no. what you're talking about is pleasure based comprehensive sexual education and we should be it because people's parents aren't raising them we're we have to raise mm-hmm. the kids. And so, I don't know, it's hard for me because I feel like in a lot of ways we live in two Americas and there's people that, that don't want that to be discussed and they are raising their kids very intentionally and they have to send them into public spaces where now that's kind of a threat of happening. People who now are entering the public square, like in the Respect for Marriage Act, where you know there's people that just want to sincerely live their deeply held beliefs in society. For example, if I ran an adoption agency, I I wouldn't want to give kids to a, a polyamorous relationship. But according to <laughs> the Respect for Marriage Act, I would have to give kids to, or then I would be sued. It's It's interesting to me that the government feels the need to get involved to persecute a group of people. Whereas, like, why can't there just be an adoption agency started by people who do believe these kind of things and they can act how they want to act? Like, but but then there'd probably be people on the other side upset about that too. So it's really hard for me to see a, an end game to this kind of conversation because in a lot of ways it's like two Americas, right?
0: Well, they always talk about tolerance too, but they're the ones that, you know, seek out religious uh bakers and mm-hmm. tell them bake the dang cake. Right. You know, and and you're like, if you know, if you're Jack Phillips, you're thinking is there no, other, no other cake baker shop yeah. in Colorado? <laughs> like, really? You have nowhere else mm-hmm. you can go to? You are mm-hmm. obviously picking on him. And but the analogy, they don't care. The analogy just to me is really like don't care.
1: so. They're talking about public schools, and so we're talking about the public square. And so, for example, like I think, fully believe that I'm not willing to let my child be your uh, experiment fodder in the public system. Like mm-hmm. I am going to send them to either a Catholic school or I'm going to homeschool them, like whatever fits their educational needs, of course. But I'm just not willing to throw them to the public because there's this debate over what the public education should be. And in the same way, we're kind of having this debate right now about. How should we treat the institution of marriage, and and how should the laws surrounding that affect, say, adoption, affect, say, uh, marriages in places of worship or in uh, wedding venues, things like that? And and those are real mm-hmm. questions. But I don't know. Maybe I see the answer being more like just let people do what they want, and then live in love. And, let and live. then, like for example, if someone who does believe in polyamory or whatever wants to have a, a polyamory friendly wedding venue like more power to you i'd never get married in there and never have a kid yeah, get see in there, that's but.
2: really nice like that would be great, Tom, but the problem is that you know human nature is such, and we're you see this like i don 't know you see it a lot on Twitter, but uh, you know you see it everywhere too um in real life, not just fake life. most people want to just be left alone to do their thing, but there is a very loud and vocal cadre of humans who want to be affirmed they want to be celebrated for what they do and not to get too like spiritualized here or anything but we are catholic and we know that when we do something that is against our nature that is detrimental that is harmful to ourselves and to others we we want others to affirm us in our sin we we want that right and if you don't I'm going to blame you, right? You're the evil one. You're the one, you know, I I want to be the righteous one. And I, I think you see that with this, you know, the LGBTQ agenda over the last 12 years, really, that's just been this ramp up of ramp up. It's not like, you know, 12 years ago, well, we just want to be allowed to marry the person we love. No, no, no. Like now it's you have to celebrate and facilitate me being with this person in a sexual relationship in fact your kids even have to watch me simulating sex acts on floats going down main street at the fourth of july parade that's it's that sort of um and do you
1: think that that happened because we backed away from the public debate and we didn't give a good enough push for a traditional view of
2: marriage i think in part well i
0: think the biggest problem was I i think the biggest problem was that too many on our side just felt like Okay, whatever. You want to do your thing? Do your thing. Live and let live. Libertarian. And I think that's a lot. Well, yeah. And I think that just is classically naive. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is, if you have one side that just says, live and let live, whatever you want to do, just do it. Just leave me alone. The other side has the opportunity then to say, I am the good. Mm -hmm. I am the right. I am the true. This is the real thing. And they are able to, you know, these guys are just cranky. Grumpy, hateful, and they want to be left alone. Less whatever, mm-hmm. but we, they 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 then decided to enter the space because there wasn't a strong enough Christian voice in America to say this was you know wrong. Yeah. They were able to articulate the good, and in their sense, the good was you should be able to embrace whatever your th- yourself is, whatever your identity is, your whatever truth. you know, your thoughts and your passions, and that you know your sexual desire is an intimately part of your identity. And anyone that tries to push back against mm-hmm. you is trying to undermine your personality and your and identity. And it's causing suicide right?
2: and it's causing death and violence. Right.
0: and Right. So they're able they're, so they are, they put their, I think that's why they got, they won the debate for the last mm-hmm. 10, 12 years is because they had an, a, 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 a holistic vision of what the good was. And there's too few Christians who are standing up yeah. for, what the true vision right, of the yeah. good and on nature abhors
2: a vacuum, and I do think as well. Absolutely, I think that the church, church organizations, so everyone from Catholic charities to your crisis pregnancy center, we have a really hard time explaining well and in a compelling way why we should be given the religious freedom, why marriage should be between a man and a woman. What we tend to do if you read these court cases and Helen Oliver articulates this really well in her most recent book, but what we tend to do is we get sued or someone complains because, you know, like a Catholic high school fires a gay teacher. And what does the Catholic high school statement read? It says, well, church teaching says we have to. So we did Mm -hmm. like how, how horrible and boring is that? So when that's the message that gets across to the greater public, of course, they're going to side with the love is love crowd. You're like, well, bad like, oh, you either. Yeah, it's just bad rhetoric. So, so, like, come on, Catholics, like
0: they just think it's quite, some old rule that needs to be updated. And Exactly. Like, the well, the vatting is right. going to
2: update that. Like, pretty soon we won't have contraception or we've been here before, you know. Um, So they just think like it's all going to get better. The Catholics pretty soon they won't have that rule. Yeah. So, like, why are they fighting so hard? And it's, you know, the cal- Catholics in the public square and anyone who's listening, who's in a position of representing a Catholic school or organization or charity. It's really important that we have a positive articulation, not based on the Bible or like the Pope said or magisterial teaching, but that this is why a society that supports a male and female lifelong union for the sake of children is a better society. for can everyone, I uh, Can right? I put
1: both of you on the spot here? I'm going to challenge both of you here. And maybe I'll get around to doing it too. I don't know. So if you had to put forth your positive vision for why it is best for society, best for America, to have marriage between one man and one woman, uh, and then through the intimacy of that union comes children. If you had to do that to the general public right now, what would you say?
0: Societies for a long time have said this. Why have we decided to abandon it? I mean, the fact is, this is the only relationship that can create new human life. So we need to orient this as a special institution between men and women so that we make sure that men don't become deadbeats. Like, you've created a new human life for this woman. You need to be, you know... You're in it for the long haul. If, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm tripping on my words, but I mean the fact. No, I think is, that's good articulation, and I, and yeah. no and fault I divorce think, definitely hurts society almost oh, yeah. like irreparably. I mean,
2: there's a there's a whole like domino effect. I still hate no fault yeah, divorce more it. than I
0: hate anything else. It was yeah. sort of
2: like the domino tip, like no fault divorce, artificial. But I think what I would point out too, and this has been really interesting to watch the rhetoric in the wake of Dobbs, right? Where, um. You know, some of the women who are very pro-abortion, they're like, Well, I'm gonna go on sex strike, like, no sex with me. You gotta be my husband if you're gonna have sex with me. If I, you know, you're can't so have close. abortion. You're yeah. like, Yeah, yeah, like just take the leap. Yeah. That's the positive articulation of marriage, where a man and a woman reserve their sexual powers and pleasures for a lifelong committed union that is held up by the society around them. Um, and the reason why we need laws to privilege that relationship. Is one because it ought to be so, like Josh said, this is the only union that that continues the generations of human persons to to continue civilization. um and two, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I had two really <laughs> good points, and it just like it went out with the coffee. I keep talking about matt
1: Matt Walsh going on Joe Rogan, which is like the biggest show by far, nothing's even close. And he was challenged by Joe Rogan mm. to have to put forth an explanation for why marriage is between a man and a woman. And I thought that, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to some of his thoughts after. He's like, you know, I wish that I did a better job here or there. It's like being really put on the spot. But one thing I really admired about it was he never had to say, oh, well, that's what my religion taught me to to say.
2: Yeah, he never had to say
1: that. in In my view, Catholicism means universal. And universal means things that we can all ascertain either by natural law and our experience and then also divine revelation. So, you shouldn't need to just default say well that's that's what Catholic teaching is like well, Catholic teaching exists for a reason, right because there's things mm-hmm. in nature that make sense i he brought up the the procreative uh aspect of it, which I mean it's just baseline like you need to procreate to yeah. continue society, but then I think another right. element of it too is, and I've been experiencing this personally, like there are things that a mother can provide for a child that a father cannot there are things that a father can provide for a child that a mother cannot it's just The nature of men and women and that's the beauty of marriage is that there's this combination of masculinity and femininity that give children what i would describe as the best possible conditions for upbringing of course there's bugs Mm -hmm. in that in that where there's you know times where it doesn't work out or whatever but we're not talking about individual cases we're talking about on a whole as for society and another thing where i really have seen things become really detrimental is the absence of fatherhoods and children like in children's lives. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with the no-fault divorce, now all of a sudden we have, uh, you know, you don't need a man. You can be a single parent the government. Yeah, and I can't stand government. that.
2: Women don't need no, men. You can,
1: you can get a home. woman needs
2: a man like a fish needs a bicycle. I'm like, oh no, like all those sleepless nights, I am so glad my kid's father was right there.
1: <laughs> need is major air quotes, right? Because it's, it shouldn't be yeah. about need. It should be what is the ideal. We want to provide the ideal yeah. for people. And the ideal is obviously yeah. not to be alone.
0: Well, or, or not even just to think of it as purely as the ideal. Just think of it this way. For children, we want to give them their best foot mm-hmm. forward, right? We want to give them their best shot at success. And having them in a home with a mother and a father living together and committed is the best foot forward they have. If, if you see, look at all the different neighborhoods yeah. in the country. And what is the number one factor for, like, high crime? It's not race, it's not oh, income, least. it's the number of fathers. Mm-hmm. So neighborhoods that have very few fathers are almost always more violent. You know, and it, men are considered violent, and yet if you have a bunch of fathers, you have a lot less violence. It's just the nature of it. Men, or are, are boys, mm-hmm. I should say, are born at, kind of brutal yeah. and, and harsh, and dads have a way of <laughs> chilling them out mm-hmm. uh, in a ways that moms maybe, maybe can't. You know, the church, I I love that my man here, Pope John Paul II, talks about the feminine masculinity, and he was huge on that. There's a lot of people, a lot of Catholics. It took a long time for them to really understand that there is this genius to the way women look at the world. And I've been only kind of bringing it up lately to say, you know what? We've learned that lesson very well. And unfortunately, in our society today, we crap on dads and men in general. And there is a masculine genius mm-hmm. too, you know? And that's why it's best to have children raised with both the masculine and feminine genius being explained to them.
1: Can I, I get a correction really quick? You said feminine masculinity, and we are really having trouble with that as a society. So I believe you <laughs> meant to say feminine genius, correct?
0: The feminine Not, and masculine geniuses is correction. what I'm trying to get yeah. at.
2: Yeah. That was actually a book I wanted to write was The, the Masculine Genius, but then I had children. <laughs> Now I just rely on the masculine genius instead of talking And now about you it. now <laughs> you have to
1: spend your feminine genius raising good children, and they're all fantastic. Yes. So, so, you know, one person that I'd recommend, and I honestly want to put it in the show notes, is was actually the inspiration for writing The Loop, Ryan T. Anderson. He's been on this train. He's been one of the, the, like, white knights, I guess, of people who are of sincere religious belief to defend traditional marriage. I mean, going on CNN, Piers Morgan, sitting him in the crowd, having to argue with Suzanne Oman knowing that yeah, everyone is yeah, going to hate him. And he was so calm. He just provided a rational explanation that was common sense. And the beauty of when you do that is you make everyone else look like kind of a jerk. I mean, he really did make peers look like a jerk. He made Suzanne Ramon look like a jerk. And so I think that's kind of a model, I think, going forward as it becomes less and less popular to hold traditional beliefs like that, um, just to stay calm and just to articulate what you really think. And of course, there's going to be a little bit of a fear of reprisal and how people judge you because we live in such a fly off the pan type society where you know you think everyone's mm-hmm. going to jump down your throat. But I, honestly, the more individual conversations I have about it, I think it's actually kind of a, a virtue building exercise for me, knowing that like, hey, I might really you know make someone angry, but what I? Re- I don't want to get to the gates and be like, well, I didn't. I didn't defend what I knew to be true.
0: Yes, and especially since in this case with. Both abortion and then also now with same-sex marriage and trans issues. So often in this debate, the other side is pushing their views through intimidation. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're articulating these ideas perfectly and, right. they're like, and society's going, oh, yeah, you got a good point there. They want to intimidate. They want to shut you down, shut you out. They want to ban you from social media. And they just want to make it seem like, you know, you're a child molester if you believe in the wrong thing. Yeah, so they just absolutely embrace all these tactics. And that's why we have an opportunity to kind of bring this up with people just to say now, yeah. What about this view? What do you think about that? And kind of, you know, gently push back mm-hmm. at this stuff so that because gently people are kind of agreeing with the the ge- the general turn the general, you know, yeah. m- movement. Uh just because of inertia or fear, like, oh, it's just this big Goliath. We have no opportunity. Like, that's yes, Right. And, and I think a key, a too,
1: is don't just rely on being angry about, uh, you know, all the crazy stuff going on in the LGBT whatever or the trans movement or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. you need to actually sit down and articulate a vision for the good. And I think that's actually, in a lot of ways, harder than critiquing what's crazy and terrible. So I challenge you guys. Really think about it.
0: I, I know that for people that are in the generation above me, like the baby boomers, Sam Gen X, the baby boomers... Spent their entire life, the good conservative baby boomers who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, who believe that religion is for the most part a great thing for society, right? They look at what's going on in the world and it's to them, it's like watching a, a train wreck in, in slow motion over the course of their yeah. lifetime. As they see it, as they see a culture that they grew up with, and the majority of people their age were against that, and it being undermined and attacked. Year after year, decade after decade, and it's just this slow moving yeah. train wreck, right? And it, and it, it can be heartbreaking. It can be frustrating. And the and the natural impulse is yeah. to be angry, and I understand because they remember what it was like before all this sexual revolution and cra- crazy stuff. They were they were growing up in that time, and their parents and grandparents would tell them of you know what life was like, and so I, I understand that. But I agree with what you say, Tom, is that we got to not be angry so much at this beautiful thing that was once great and is now gone. Because it's mostly gone. We really have to be happy warriors, yeah. joyful, <laughs> like they were in Rome. Like when the, when, the, when the Christians were taking over Rome, like Christians were just like, look, I believe in this and I just don't care if you're going to kill me. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and have the joy yeah. of Christ mm-hmm. in you. And articulate that, and say this is what the vision of the good is like. And- yeah,
2: and as always, like I think Thomas More is just such a great example, some a great guy to read because he, like, not only during his time was the, his whole world imploding in this way. Like he went from a childhood where it was like Catholic England, like the stalwarts, yeah. to being beheaded, right? And um, and not only that, but like he watched like all the bishops of the church completely cave, right? So. He experienced this like total betrayal with the guy. What's, What's that, like? that like? I know <laughs> you can't relate to that at yeah, all, um, which is a good segue. But so go to Thomas Moore, ask him to help. Yes, you and, be and joyful. speaking of
1: our bishops, uh, hey,
2: you see that I handed that to you, I Tom. appreciate it
1: helping me out. Yeah, uh, so speaking of our bishops, there's a very important vote that went down. The USCCB had a meeting in Baltimore. My mom talks about the USCCB all the time. I typically only hear about them when I'm frustrated. But interestingly, Archbishop Broglio is the new president of the USCCB. There's kind of an interesting story behind that. He wasn't what people really expected to come out of that meeting. Why do you think that he was voted as the new president and what's kind of the
0: drama surrounding it?
2: Mm, Josh wrote a great piece on this.
0: Yeah, I mean, so Broglio was, he was uh, considered one of the people that was in the running for this position, as well as uh, Archbishop uh, Corleone of San Francisco. And so before the election, uh, before they met in Baltimore, Michael Sean Winters, uh, he's, he's a lefty at National Catholic Reporter, which is also a lefty. Anyway, Michael Sean Winters said, most importantly, the bishops want a president and a vice president who can accomplish the conference's work both at home and especially at the Holy See. The, this last consideration effectively rules out two candidates, San Francisco <laughs> Archbishop of Salvatore, Court of the And U.S. Archdiocese for Military Services, Archbishop Timothy Broglio. And so what do the bishops do? (laughs) Oh, gee, thanks, Mike. Um, Maybe we'll not take your advice. And they elected him president.
1: For people that don't know, why does this guy really not like them and think they'd be bad representation?
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, there's no question that Michael Shannon Winters doesn't like uh, uh, Archbishop Corleone because he took on Nancy Pelosi. But he doesn't like Broglio because, you know, Broglio has been very outspoken about, you know, very strong on, the, on pro-life stuff. And he's hit back on President Biden, um, you know, very effectively, which incidentally, the Cardinal in Washington, D.C., Wilton Gregory, is like so friendly mm-hmm. with Joe Biden, you know, and he's it he doesn't want to say anything harsh about him. And then he, but anytime Trump does oh, something yeah, wrong, remember, he, he, yeah. you know, he freaked out. Right. You know, so that's the kind of person that the the left wingers at uh the National Cabinet Reporter would love to see advanced. And they'd love to see Supich. they'd love to see Supich be advanced too. He's from Chicago, super liberal. And Supich went up for something a couple of years ago, and the bishops were like, no. mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and so he went up for something again, this time even more modest. Like secretary, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, there's gotta be somebody yeah, else. And there was. So,
0: you know, it's just and it's and so I mean, the thing is, there's nothing outlandish about Archbishop Timothy Broglio. He's just solidly Mm pro-life, and he's not afraid to say what he he thinks. And he's the, you know, Michael Sean Winters would make him sound like, you know, he's Donald Trump (laughs) or something like that. But he's just Just a guy. He's this really crazy thing where he's like, I don't know, a pro-life bishop who's not afraid to say what he thinks. Like, crazy. That doesn't mean he's Trumpian. I mean, give me a break.
1: Yeah, can I I gotta keep adding context questions for people who aren't as deeply involved? So it might be a little bit and you know, preaching the choir, because some people really understand this, but not everyone knows that bishops are not political or 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 that they 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 do have political leanings or this kind of inner church politics. So you mentioned, like, oh, lefty bishop, right wing bishop. You're like, well, they're all bishops. Like, what do you mean? They're not they're not politicians. For those people who don't really understand that, like, are there kind of these like Uh, political leanings of our bishops. uh, Is that really a thing or is it more just?
0: Well, I mean, look, Cardinal Joe Tobin, he's from Newark, and he basically, uh, he didn't, uh, he did not actually fully endorse Joe Biden for president. But he he said that that Trump wasn't was somebody you, you would have a real problem voting for. But the other one, I really don't. So it's like, OK, so you're voting for Joe Biden. I get it. I mean, whatever. Are, you're just going to support the guy who's totally in favor of abortion and had a same sex marriage inside the White House when he's vice president. You know, yeah, he's about as Catholic as a gnat. But go ahead. You know, I mean, it's just like it's unbelievable. I mean, actually, a gnat would be more Catholic because a gnat can't deny its nature. So you're saying like. Kind of by litmus, you can
1: pick up the hints. I mean, I've my parent uh, my in-laws are from Illinois and they cannot stand uh Cupich. They think he's the worst. I mean, he's also cracked down a lot of traditional liturgy, which is kind of seen as more of a progressive thing um as well. So it's like mm-hmm. almost by proxy, you can kind of
0: I'm not even a Latin master guy, but like some of these bishops have a greater problem with Latin mass than the murdering of babies. Yeah. It's just so weird. Like get your priorities together, but it's like whatever, as long as we still have James Taylor kind of music playing every Sunday. Kumbaya, who cares? No, I mean it's like to me it drives me a little crazy. I think the I think the laity have been almost too deferential and almost too, you know, kind to the bishops. And that's certain, you know, there's there's a a bit of a growing frustration over the last ten years where it's like, you know, get with the program. Like, don't you see what's going on? Mm-hmm. We have a government and a culture and a media that is just attacking us left and right day in and day out. And, you know, all we hear about is a few things of the Catholic service appeal. Like
1: the, the Senate of Senate of synodality.
0: Yeah. The meeting of meetings of meetings. <laughs> like, the committee, the, on the committee on the committee on
2: the committee. Like,
0: Yeah. You can just imagine the Apostle Paul coming like, just, like, kill <laughs> me right. now. I mean, like, this is the worst thing ever.
2: I think of poor Saint Peter in, in Acts fifteen at the first council of Jerusalem, and then what would he think? He'd just yeah, go fishing, I know he'd just be right? like, "Okay, guys, I'll be back in twenty. Figure it out. I'll give it my seal."
0: Meetings on meetings. He's like, "I'm gonna. Just so go, I'm going fishing."
1: <laughs> Broglio gets elected. Clearly, somewhat of a rebuke of maybe what people thought would be more of a progressive leader. Someone maybe a little bit more in line of what they see as like the progressive part of the American church. So, so, but what are the implications? I guess.
0: I just don't I don't think of it as like a rebuke. I think that bishops are saying we're not going to just accept whatever palatable, you know, bishop you think is a consensus mm-hmm. candidate. We're just going to do what we do. We're going to teach, we're going to be shepherds and we do care about the Eucharist and we do care about people who claim they're catholic and and are violating the church's teachings. So we support, you know, The efforts of people like Archbishop Salvatore Corleone to do something about it. And we think, you know, Broglio pushing back at President Biden for being, you know, a maniacal, bloodthirsty promoter of abortion, like, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's not Broglio's words, those are mine. But, (laughs) you know, the bishops are yeah, I think it's Mm -hmm. good.
1: Let's get away from politics for a second. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We hope you're spending it with your family and loved ones. Uh, We thought this would be a good opportunity to remix The Twilight Zone. To the thankful zone. Prompt of today is what we've been thankful for in the past year, because it's so easy, as I said, to kind of get caught in criticism. So this is crazy or this is terrible, blah blah blah. blah. But mm-hmm. I want to take the time to reflect. What were some really good things that happened over the past year? And do it in the style of the twilight zone, where we each get a pick and we kind of get to riff off each other. So
0: that's why I get to go first. I mean, there was some disappointments in, in you know, in the election season. Um, but I'm thankful that. We were able to overturn Roe v. Wade this year. Amen. That is a forty-nine-year-old struggle, mm-hmm. and that is something that I will always be able to look at twenty twenty-two and say I am thankful that we were able to hold the line on that. Now we still have years to fight, but that's just. I always
1: point. it's one of those moments where I always remember where I was. You know, like it.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, where were you? Oh, Tom? I,
1: <laughs> so so now he doesn't remember. I why. actually was. No, um, I do. I remember it was awkward. Um, So I was in Chicago because Mm -hmm. I was uh, working. (laughs) I was doing some photography work. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll I'll have plenty of time. Today will be a slow day. I'll be able to set up my photography stuff, whatever. And of course, like, I basically was looking at my wife and I was like, either today's going to be an insane day or today's going to be an easy day. And we'll know at exactly, you know, 10 o'clock when the Supreme Court decisions come out. And sure enough, it drops and it was like, whoa like roe v Wade is overturned like this is insane and i had uh some video assets prepared so i had to throw together a video so we're kind of on the road and uh i just stop at a coffee shop in chicago which as you guys <laughs> would imagine is not the most uh conservative friendly mm-hmm. pro-life state and so or pro-life city and so i stopped in this coffee shop and i remember sitting just beaming ear to ear the playlist was fire too like they were playing some led zeppelin it was, I was just like having the head banging, having the best day of my life. And there was, I'm not kidding, four middle-aged women table over me crying. They were so upset that unborn babies would have to, to live and that people would not be able to end the life of their own children. And they just were like crying, arm over the shoulder, like we need to find ways. And you're like- yeah, And I was like, yes, this is amazing. Like I was having the best, and I was like, this video is so good, it's gonna be a gas. And uh, they were talking about finding ways to get more women to Illinois to be a sanctuary, to, to kill people. Like, this is the, one of the worst days of my life. This is like, I've never thought we would go backwards on this or stripping rights from women. They're getting more and more bad, And as they were getting more and more bad, I was getting more and more happy. And I was kind of like live slacking the conversation to some coworkers and like, this feels so surreal. Like, I'm on the other side. I'm on the inside, like typing away. Like, man, she just said this. This is insane. I can't believe she said that. So anyway, I'll never forget it. Best day, One of the best days of my life. Well, we're thankful. So we're thankful. certainly
0: we're not we're not thankful for their yeah, attitudes. Yeah. We, we pray for their conversion, but we're thankful for <laughs> oh, obviously yeah. the overturn really of Great. So, Erica, do you have one?
2: Hmm. I do. Um, it's not quite as noble and obvious as Josh's, but um, I I'm thankful this year for the Babylon Bee in my <laughs> life. I I'm thankful for them on Twitter and off Twitter, and now at the end of the year on Twitter again. Um so thank you Babylon B for <laughs> putting your foot down, sticking it out, seeing it through. I'm glad you were vindicated. Not everyone is in this world on the side of the Jordan, no. but I am just really grateful for the whole story of the Babylon B this year. Have you
1: seen the have you seen the memes of like the Babylon Bee getting banned on Twitter is like the first domino, small domino. And then the biggest one is Elon Musk buying (laughs) Twitter. And it was just like,
2: yes.
1: (laughs) And it's true in a lot of ways. I loved that one. But um, yeah, you bring that up. uh, I'm sorry. I have another story, but uh, I think that Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee gave one of the best explanations for why satire needs to exist in society. And it it was, Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't realize how uh, seriously he took jokes. Like, Because almost in their nature jokes, they're kind of lighthearted, but he just gave such a profound, like how satire is, needs to be a protected part of society because there are ideas that actually deserve to be ridiculed and they're dangerous Mm -hmm. if they're taken seriously. And so one of the greatest examples is like um, furries or like having, people are like, oh, uh, we need to put kitty litter in school bathrooms because kids identify as cats. And you're like, that right. is insane. But we're actually in a lot of social media outlets not allowed to criticize that as crazy. And it's because we, for so long, didn't criticize bad ideas when they were bad 10 years ago. And now we've got a real problem on our hands because we have a generation of kids who grew up that were immune from criticism when criticism mm-hmm. was really righteous and actually would have benefited them in a way. So yeah, Babylon yeah. being so cool.
0: There's actually... a. Uh- my friend pointed out that in uh, uh, eastern bloc countries, eastern europe, um they use so uh, humor very effectively because you know, they would they would say jokes or 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 kind of poke fun at their leaders and all the decisions that are being made and and it, it had the effect of kind of easing a lot of the tension because communism would rule with an iron fist and use fear and intimidation mm-hmm as a way to kind of keep people in line. Well, we don't live in communism to, in the United States, but we, we do live in a culture that's highly mm-hmm. secular.
2: And there's an author- authoritarian, right? Yeah.
0: And, yeah, and it has this real mean authoritarian mm-hmm. streak, and they use intimidation and pressure. And so I do think what he's doing is great, mm-hmm. using satire and humor to kind of poke fun at these things. And, and, and some Christians are like, oh, you should- you shouldn't make fun of that. You shouldn't make fun of people. It's mean. It's like, no, no, no. These people are trying to oppress people, and they're trying to put children on the wrong path. It's going to lead to misery, you know, human misery. So we do need to make fun of these people, if only just to break this kind of tension, this ironclad grip they have on culture. And then we can have a real robust discussion. But we can't even have the discussion unless we kind of yeah. break that. That ice, yeah, I think he's right.
1: I think they talk about the onion as kind of being the precursor to what they do. However, the onion actually went really lefty, and they kind of like died it's out. Not it's not funny anymore. anymore. It's really sad because it used to be really funny.
2: It's like Saturday Night Live. Like it used to be such a tool for humor, and now it's just like, wait, what? That's funny.
0: Well, I don't know about Saturday Night Live, but I'll say like with regards to humor today, John Stewart actually was funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I didn't like him. I remember he was on Saturday Night Live and he was given a whole set. This was 15 years ago or so, uh, and it it was ideological. He was just trying to promote gay marriage. All these jokes about gay marriage and stuff like that, like make you feel like you're an idiot if you're against it. And I just thought these are unfortunately very effective. Uh, And I thought that was bad. But then, so he has his own his show, and then every person has come after him, like Stephen Colbert. Was like I'm going to be this buffoonish, you know, uh, example of like a Bill O'Reilly conservative type, and, you know. And now he's on CBS's Late Show, and then you got Seth Meyers and all these others, Trevor Noah, whatever.
1: He's <laughs> So bad. And
0: every once in a while, they'll have a joke that's. How do you
2: really feel? Every Tom? once in a while, they have a so joke bad.
0: that. Every once in a while, they have a joke that's kind of funny, but for the most part, what they do mm-hmm. is not humor.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They actually don't do humor. It's pointing at something they think is bad and mocking and ridiculing it and like laughing at it it's mockery it's not humor mm-hmm. it's not even yeah like, like real no satire attempt.
2: is hard and you, you listen to seth dylan talk about it and it's a real art for him um they really work hard at being at the at the humor and it's not just like pointing at something and being like "Ha, oh, that's really dumb it's well it's trying to get at a deeper uh, the truth underneath what's it, crazy about to expose it, the contradictions yeah.
1: what's crazy about it is that someone brought this up in a great article, but so much of our society and so much of our news cycle in the last two years was begging for someone to make fun of it, begging for it. Right. Like, how bizarre is it that everyone shut down for two weeks and we were calling people who delivered DoorDash heroes, you know, banging pots and pans for them to come out. Like we were locking people in rooms because we thought that they were going to be dangerous to what? just like bizarre, hilarious.
0: Oh, like Michigan here. I'm in Michigan. You can go to Walmart and you can buy the emergency necessities like mm-hmm. milk and bread, but you can't right. buy garden seeds. You can buy paint. You know, and you can <laughs> – I mean, it's just bizarre. And so it's like, okay, but I can still <laughs> buy weed,
1: you know? So anyway, my, point, my true. point with that
0: – It my was. Point with it that was
1: a So like you're talking about the narrative, right? Well, it, it is narrative-based and the mockery of pointing, mm-hmm. but they are going out of their way to go find things to point at and mock. But there's so much right in everyone's face that everyone sees. And it's like, this mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It's like, I feel like they finally came along and put a finger on the pulse of like, this is ridiculous and we're going to make it really funny and the point's going to land. Right. I mean, clearly the point mm-hmm. where they got banned on Twitter for being so on the nose with something that everyone sees is ridiculous. And that Rachel Levine is, is going around and saying that they're a man. Yeah. I mean, that they're a woman when it's so, I mean, clear to be not that. Yeah, so he's a man. <laughs> yeah. Um Anyway, uh, great, great, thankful point.
0: Well, and, they, uh, and to the credit, I like Babylon B because to the credit, oh, they yeah. poke fun at mm-hmm. everybody. They make good jokes about like Christians and you know, like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they like the you know the GOP announces sweeping plan to lose as many Senate seats as possible. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's funny. They I had
2: mean, a was- really funny video like Christianity Light. Oh, where yeah. if you if you're tired <laughs> of having to like read your Bible and work hard, don't at do it. it christianity light <laughs> it's really funny, yeah. and then it has like the side effects at the end. It's yeah, yeah, everyone go look will put it in the show Thankful notes. for
1: some good, good thankful humor. for the
2: thankful yes. thank you Babylon b um so
1: I'll round out the thankful I not to be all gushy, mushy, gushy, but mm, uh, no
2: not that you know, I'm really I mean, thankful
1: for uh the loop audience. It's all you guys, all the people listening uh I gotta say like there's been so many times this year where. I don't know. Work was tough, or the topics we were covering were just getting heavy, and like, so we have our customer service um, representative Sue, who's the best. I'll shower praises. And we're all thankful for top. Sue. She would send some encouraging messages from people who email in, and we're just like, "You are giving us a voice for people who just want to live sincerely Catholic lives and feel like we we feel like we have someone out there swinging for us." And it's not common in in today's world. And so just to hear like all the positive comments like that, it just really lifted me up. I think when it was getting tough and honestly, the cool thing about it is it feels like kind of a community. We're really trying to make it more and more so a community, but um, getting those kind of messages. And then as we grow, we're almost, the loop's almost to 350,000 people, 350,000 Catholics are getting the same email every morning, reading the same stories, talking about the same things, acting on the same like quorums and contacting Senators taking part in um, donation campaigns that have completely changed uh, the scope of elections in this country, take part in social campaigns like Hide the Pride. We had so many people send in pictures of taking absolute filth off their public libraries protecting children. Like This is really just the beginning uh, in a lot of ways. We have such an amazing, committed audience of just... If you hear us talk, we're just everyday Catholics, right? I mean, me, you, me, Josh, Erica we're just people who want to live out our faith and live in an America that we like and and want to continue to see become better and and greater. And so we couldn't do this without you at the end of the day. And so I'm just so thankful to be in the position to be able to work for you guys. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'm just reminded of what Mark Twain said. He said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. So maybe what the LoopCast readers will do is send in six comments <laughs> go, to Tom give us a year for being such a great host. And, and he'll be able to float yeah, all next I got to hear I'm a gas off that.
1: Yeah. And the LoopCast <laughs> has been such a cool project. And once again, thankful to everyone. Not only that just subscribes to Loop, but takes the time to listen to us. Spends an hour a week with us uh, just hearing what we have to say. And hopefully we're educating you guys and, and making you laugh a little bit. And uh, someone described it while I was talking to uh, our designer, Shane. And he said, you know, in a way the show kind of reminds me of how early Rush Limbaugh kind of made me feel, which is like not to say comparing us at all to Rush Limbaugh, but um, (laughs) it's just saying things that I feel like no one else is saying and that I, I, it resonates with like, yes, like, thank you. Someone said that, you know, it's, it's okay to have this view if, you know, someone else is saying it's just resonating thoughts that people already have. And so I just Uh hope we can kind of continue that. Yeah. Shout out Shane. He's the man.
0: Well, and what you said about everyday Catholic is good because we're just everyday kind of people. We're not trying to pretend we're stars, but that can be used a different way as well. Like, we're also Catholic every day. (laughs)
2: Oh, that was tricky. I liked that. Yeah. It's good. Good copy, Josh.
1: All right. (laughs) Uh, To sign out, do we have a favorite Thanksgiving food we're looking forward to eating? What's up?
2: Ooh. I love, I love oh, it. it all together just one pile covered in gravy. I do I love I love my stuffing yeah. cuz I put sausage in Ooh, it. Ooh. Green, a- green apples and cornbread. It's so good. Everyone <laughs> in my over. house. Come on guys. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think I'm stuffing as well. I sign off with stuffing. I'm a big stuffing
0: guy. All
2: right. Mercer, fun. all of it. He just wants yeah. all of it.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, if you got that turkey smoked, then it's a great, great day. Now we're
1: talking, yeah.
0: I did it last year, and it was magnificent.
1: That's amazing. I'm impressed. All right. Well, hey, hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. Know that we are all praying for you guys here. hope you enjoy it with family and friends. Uh, As always, you can subscribe to the Loopcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And please take the time, leave us a review. We want to hear from you. Or you can email us at loopcast.com at CatholicVote.org. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Go get some rest. And send your recipes. Send the recipes. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.